If you would please keep your Bibles open there to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1. Now we're doing a, a message this month on the main characters of the Christmas story. In fact, last Sunday we did on Mary, the mother of Jesus, and today I'd like to talk about Joseph, the husband of Mary. And not a lot is said about Joseph. In fact, Scripture is quite silent about him in many ways. In fact, uh, we do know because of the things going on today that he was a good man. He was a godly man. But not much is said. The last thing we hear about Joseph is when Jesus was 12 years old, when Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem to the temple to sacrifice, uh, they took Jesus with them. And when they left on the way back home, they found, realized Jesus was not with them. <laughs> so they went back to Jerusalem and found him and said, what are you doing, basically? He said, did, did you not know I need to be about my father's business? He was there talking to the Pharisees. But after that, not much is said. In fact, uh, many people believe, many scholars believe he died at a very early age. Because when Jesus was crucified, of course, Mary was there, but there's nothing said about Joseph. So nothing, very little said about him. But we do know, we're going to see today, that he was a good man. He was a, a godly, righteous man. When my children were little, uh, my son had a pet. It was a lizard. It was an iguana. Someone gave it to him, and uh, his, uh, Stephen called him Barney. Barney was about three and a half, four foot long. He was a big lizard. We had him in a cage, and, uh, and Barney was pretty much docile, pretty calm, pretty collected, and just, just a nice little pet. We would pet him. We'd feed him. He'd eat uh, leaves from lettuce. And we, in fact, we pick him up, take him out of the cage. He'd lay on our palm, he'd lay his head here and his, his uh, tail wrapped around your neck. And just, just a good pet. A good. And so we enjoyed him for quite a while. And then we were doing some reading, some background about iguanas. And we found out they like water. And they don't like cold water. They don't like hot water. Lukewarm. So Stephen and I got, let's uh, run some water in the tub and put Barney in the tub. And get him in some water. And, they, and the thing said that water's good for skin. So we went in there, not too hot, not too cold, just lukewarm. And Stephen walked in there with him. I was with him and laid him in the water. And wow, he went ballistic. <laughs> I mean, he started thrashing around and jumped up on the side of the tub and started hissing at us. And uh, they used their tongue like a whip to uh, protection and just scared us to death. And so uh, I looked at, I told Stephen, why don't you grab him? He said, I'm not grabbing him. <laughs> So we had to get a big towel. We threw a towel on top of him and grabbed him and wrapped up the towel, took him back to the cage and put him in the cage. And, and that day we saw a side of Barney we never saw before. And as a result of that, we really were afraid of him. We didn't want to go back in the cage and didn't want to feed him anymore as far as put our hand in there. We didn't know if he had, that side would come out again and we ended up having to give him away because of uh, the way he was. And so under that pressure of uncomfortable situation in water, he, uh, we saw a side of Barney that we did not like. And let me ask you, how do you respond to uncomfortable situations? How do you respond to trying emotional distress or trying times? Someone once said, man has no trial of his faith until he has or is in trouble. He said again, man has no trial of his faith until he has or is in trouble. Trials expose our inner character. They expose things about us nobody else may know. I have a cup here. In fact, I took it from my office. 
It sits on my desk. You can come visit me. You can read it. It says, be careful. You might end up in one of my sermons. So anyway, <laughs> so somebody gave that to me. But I have in here, I have a tea bag. And if I put hot water in this cup and drop this in it, what comes out of the tea bag? That's not a trick question. What comes out of the tea bag? Tea comes out of the tea bag. <laughs> so what comes out of the bag is what's in the bag, and that's tea. And when you are dropped or placed in hot water, difficult circumstances, what comes out? What comes out is what's on the inside. Sometimes these trials expose the person that we really are. Nobody sees them, but God wants to expose them that you might deal with them. And all of a sudden, the side of us comes out nobody is comfortable with. We cannot control our circumstances, but we can control our response to circumstances. Your response to negative circumstances is a reflection of your character. People see you as you really are. Today, I'd like to look at Joseph and how he responded to a very difficult situation in his life. First of all, we're going to look at number one, look at Joseph's situation. The situation that placed him basically in some hot water. We're going to see how he responded. Look in verse 18, please. Joseph's situation. Letter A, the betrothal. The betrothal. In verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. The word espoused means betrothed. It literally means he was married to uh, Mary. But it's important to understand the Hebrew marriage custom. Please listen. You'll miss this. Marriages that time were arranged by, for individuals by their parents, and contracts were negotiated. After this was accomplished, the individuals were considered legally married and were called husband and wife. However, they did not begin to live together. Instead, the woman continued to live with her parents, and the man would live with his parents for a period of one year. During this year, the man would be preparing a home, a place for them to live after this period of uh, one year. This waiting period was to demonstrate the faithfulness of the pledge of purity given concerning the bride. If she was found to be with child in this period, she obviously was not pure, but had been involved with an unfaithful sexual relationship. Therefore, the marriage could be annulled. If, however, after one year period, demonstrated the purity of the bride, the husband would go to the house of the bride's parents and a grand processional lead his wife, bride back to his home they would have a big festive wedding ceremony. It would last for days. After this, they would begin to live together as a husband and wife. That was the betrothal. That was the situation. But during this time also, there was an apparent betrayal. An apparent betrayal. Look again in verse 18, the middle part of it. It says, before they came together, she was found with what? Child. Of the Holy Ghost. Now, we're told here clearly the child she had conceived was the Holy Ghost. But Joseph did not know that. While he was excited about being married and while he was at home preparing a place, a home for his wife to live and be together uh, as a husband and wife, all of a sudden, we got what my kids used to say is, uh-oh. He heard and found out Mary was pregnant. And he knew it wasn't his. From his perspective, in our common vocabulary, Mary's cheated on me. She's been with another man sexually. She's married to me, but she's proved herself she's not pure. And so 
that was the situation. Petrofo and an apparent betrayal. Number two. Now let's look at Joseph's response to the situation. Joseph's response to the situation. Look in verse 20, please. First of all, he was emotionally distraught. Understandably so. He was emotionally distraught. Verse 20. It says, but while he thought on these things. What things? My wife has cheated on me. I've been preparing a home, excited about living with her, and now she's with a child, and it's not mine. The word thought is the key word there. The word thought is a compound of two words in the Greek. It first means a preposition denoting a fixed position in time, place, or state. Basically, this idea was consuming him, understandably so. He was consumed by the idea that his wife had cheated on him, and so that's the first part of that word. The second part was means extreme passion. It literally means breathing hard, anger, fierceness, indignation, possibly a combination of grief and anger, and rightfully so. No one would blame him for getting angry. No one would blame him to have grief because he has done nothing wrong. He is preparing his home for his wife, getting excited about living with her, and all of a sudden, guess what? Here's an uh-oh. She's with a child, and it's not mine. And so this bothered him extremely. But though he was emotionally distraught, I want you to notice how he responded. He responded with mercy and with grace. He responded with mercy and grace. Look in verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, but was minded to put her away privately. We notice in this verse 19, first of all, he was a righteous man, a just man. The word just means righteous, both positionally and practically. He was a godly man. He was a saved man. He was a man who had lived out his Christian life. He practiced righteousness. He was a righteous man, both positionally and in his practice. But also, he did not seek to avenge himself in this situation. He did not seek or try to avenge himself. It says in that verse 19, and not willing to make her a public example. What does that mean? What would it mean to make her a public example? I'm glad you asked. Hold your finger right here, Matthew. Go down to Deuteronomy 22, please. It tells us what this means. Deuteronomy 22, page 315, if you're using a church Bible. He was emotionally distraught, very upset about this. Angry, grief what his wife had done to him. But he did not allow his emotions to control him. It says here in Deuteronomy 22, 23, please. Deuteronomy 22, page 315. Look in verse 23. Under the Jewish law, the uh, law of Moses, if a damsel that is a virgin be betrothed unto her husband, that was Mary. She was a damsel betrothed to her husband. She was married to Joseph. And a man find her in the city and lie with her, have sexual relations with her. Verse 24. Then ye shall bring them both out unto the gate of the city, and ye shall stone them with stones that they may die. Adultery, the offense was a capital punishment. They would take them out and publicly and stone them. You would take that uh, adulteress, take them out to the gate of the city where the magistrates of the city were, expose her publicly, and they take them out and stone them. That was practiced at that time. 
We know, remember the Pharisees caught a woman caught in adultery. Remember that? And brought her before Christ and, and said, you know, the law says stone her. What do you say? And they had stones in their hand. And, of course, Christ said, ye without sin cast the first stone. So that was practiced at that time. So basically, he did not allow his emotions to control his actions. Remember as a boy, we, uh, we did not, we had, my mother had a brother. We did not visit very often, but we'd go there maybe once a year and visit them and and they didn't have any children, so my brother and I and my sister, we would have to sit in the living room as they talked. But we put up to the driveway to visit them, kind of surprised for them, and they didn't know we were coming. We got out of the car, and we heard some shouting in the house. And we heard some banging and things like that. So we, my parents kind of slowly walked up there and knocked on the door. And they come to, hello, come on in, glad to see you. And we walked in there, and we sat in the living room, and, and as they were talking, there was an elephant in the room, something nobody was talking about that obvious. There was a dining room chair sticking out of the wall. <laughs> and no one was talking about it. My brother and I looked at each other, and what are going to do here? And it's right there. And so, uh, so we just sat there, and, uh, trying to be good little kids, and, and they talked a while, then we left. And all of a sudden, on the way home, my, dad, my brother said, hey, mom, dad, what was that chair doing down the wall? <laughs> my mom says, your uncle has an anger problem. When he has anger, he gets very violent. And he was, that was what they were doing. We got there. He was shouting and screaming. And he picked up the dining room chair and threw it across the room and right into the wall of the living room. And we know that sometime later, his wife divorced him because of that. That was an elephant in the wall, and, and no one was talking about it. Let me ask you, how do you respond to stressful situations? By the way, he was a Christian. He knew Christ as Savior, but had an anger problem. By the way, anger is not wrong. The Bible says, be angry, but what? But sin not. And, but he allowed his anger to control him. Joseph was very angry, but he did not let his anger control him. He responded out of grace and mercy. In fact, turn to me to Romans chapter 12, please. Romans 12. Keep your finger, if you will, please, in uh, Matthew. Let go of Deuteronomy. Go to Matthew now. I'm sorry, Romans. Thank you very much. Romans. Keep your finger in Matthew, but turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 17, please. Romans 12, 17. Joseph did not seek to avenge himself, though he, and from his perspective, he was wronged. But it says here in Romans 12, verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. From his perspective, his wife had done him evil. She's cheated on him. But it goes on to say in verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. In verse 21, be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with what? Joseph did not allow the supposed evil of his wife overcome him and cause him to, to publicly shame her and have her put to death. But he overcome evil with good. He did not seek to avenge himself, but he did not speak ill of Mary. He did not speak ill of Mary. In Ephesians 4, in fact, I believe it would be on the screen, verse 29. In fact, if you don't, back there in Matthew, it says, He was minded 
to put her away privately, very discreetly, secretly, not publicly. What he, she had done from his perspective, she's wronged me, she's cheated on me, she's an adulteress. According to the law, she deserves to die. But he, because of grace and mercy, was not willing to make her a public example, but minded to make this discreet. No one would know about this. He would not even speak ill of her. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that may minister grace to the hearer. So how did Joseph respond to this very stressful situation? He responded with grace and mercy. He did not uh, speak ill of Mary. He did not allow his actions, excuse me, his emotions control his actions. Now, here's what the Bible commentary said. I, one of my favorite commentaries called the Bible Knowledge Commentary. It said this. Mary and Joseph were in a one-year waiting period when Mary was found with child. They never had sexual intercourse, and Mary herself had been faithful. While little said about Joseph, one can imagine how his heart must have been broken. He genuinely loved Mary, and yet the word came that she was pregnant. His love for her was demonstrated by his actions. He chose not to create a public scandal by exposing her condition to the judges of the city gate. Such an act could have resulted in Mary's death by stoning. Instead, he decided to divorce her quietly. Instead of put away, the word put away means divorce. He's going to divorce her. Now, so how would you respond, men, if your wife did that to you? And the law said, put her to death. What would you have done? We don't, ha we don't have much said about Joseph, but Joseph was a godly man. He did not allow, though he was extremely upset, angry. You could call this righteous indignation. He did not allow that to control him. He responded with grace and mercy, but also uh, he responded with obedience. He responded with obedience. Look what the angel told him. Look in verse 20, please. Matthew 1, 20. He said, but while he thought, while he was emotionally distraught of these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. Now look down in verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. He obeyed exactly what the angel said. But he obeyed at great cost. This cost his reputation. This cost his testimony. We know that because people begin to gossip. People knew what happened here, began to talk. How many realize people talk? Who realize people gossip, especially juicy news like that? And we know that because later, in fact, years later, during the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, when he had a run-in with the Pharisees, Basically, what happened there is that uh, in John 8, 41, he heard the Pharisees said, Ye of your father the devil, and the deeds of your father you do. In verse eight, chapter 8, 41, John, Jesus said to the Pharisees, You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Even then they talked about the supposed impriety, the supposed uh, uh, her doing wrong. Said, we be not born of fornication. You're the one born of fornication. So even then, years later, they were still talking about Mary and how she cheated on her husband. 
So she obeyed at great cost. His wife was unfaithful. She's an adulteress. And they talked about it years later. So he obeyed at great cost. But also he obeyed without complaint. He obeyed without complaint. Joseph could have said to the angel, after the angel told him what happened, you know, it would have been nice if you had told me this beforehand. <laughs> I could have been spared all the heartache and emotional turmoil. I almost divorced my wife for something she didn't do. Why didn't you tell me beforehand? He said nothing. He just obeyed at cost, obeyed without complaint. Let me ask you, how would you respond if you were betrayed or wronged by someone close to you? How do you respond to adversity and trials? My friend, life is full of trials. Life is full of adversity. But the question is, you can't control your circumstances, but you can control how you respond to them. So how do you respond? Write this down, please. In the midst of adversity, it's important for each of us, number one, to see God's hand in the matter. To see God's hand in the matter. Go with me now, please. Keep your finger in Matthew. Go to Ecclesiastes. I'll give you about 10 minutes to find that, okay? <laughs> Ecclesiastes, the Old Testament, chapter 7. If you are using a church Bible, it's page 971. If you open your Bible in the middle, it's usually Psalms. After that is Proverbs. After that is Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, chapter 7. So when you're going through adversity, it's important for you to see God's hand in this issue, God's hand in the matter. Nothing can happen to the Christian without God's permission. Nothing can come in your life without it first going across the desk of God with his permission. We need to see God's hand in the matter. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 13, please. Verse 13, it says, Consider the work of God. For who can tell, who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? Otherwise, everything is going smooth sailing, everything is going straight in your life, and all of a sudden, you, know, you start having issues. When he says, consider God's work. Who can make straight what God's made crooked? When God brings the laws, problems come. As much as you want to correct that and get it out of your life, what he's saying here. Who can make straight what God's made crooked? Look in verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be what? Joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider God has set the one over against the other to the end that man sh should find nothing after him. What it means here, the word over against means side by side. God has allowed the good times, the prosperity, and the adversity. He puts them side by side in your life to help you be the person you ought to be. Set over again. And the word prosperity and adversity, God ordains both in our lives. In the meantime, withholds the knowledge of the future. We don't know what's going to happen, but he allows both that. So consider God's work. Who can make straight what God makes crooked? And consider in the midst of prosperity, be joyful. But when adversity comes, realize God puts one beside the other. In other words, when you stress, uh, go through stressful times, God is at work. You need to understand that. Number two, the second thing you need to understand. See God's hand. Number two, understand God's reason for trials. Understand God's reason for trials. 
Let go of Ecclesiastes, keep your finger in Matthew, and go now to James. James chapter 1, please. please. Page 1698, James 1. Now, the pages are getting quiet on me. Don't let me lose you. I'm going to help you this morning. James chapter 1, because we all have adversity. We all have times of trouble. We're all placed in hot water at times. But how should we respond? Joseph responded with grace and mercy, obedience. My uncle did not, and neither did Barney. (laughs) (laughs) But notice here, understand God's reason. Look in James chapter 1, verse 2. James 1, verse 2. And the first two words we see clearly, James is writing to Christians. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. The idea is you're going along with great life and things going fine, and you fall into some temptation, some testing. And divers mean different kinds. What should our attitude be, according to James? Joy. Kind of joy. Why? Read the next verse. Knowing, the word knowing means understanding this, that the trying, the testing of your faith worketh patience. God's trying to develop godly character in you. Because the word patient means endurance, steadfastness. But in verse 4, but let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. What he's saying here, while you're going through trials, let the trial do its work. And the work is that you may be perfect. It means spiritually mature. It goes on to say entire means lacking, it means complete and wanting, lacking nothing. Look up here, please. Trials exposes chinks in our armor. Trials exposes flaws we don't realize that are there. And when that trial happens, all of a sudden, whoa, where did that come from? A side of us comes out that people have never seen before. And God's trying to bring that to your attention and expose that, that you might deal with it. Let the trial do its work, that he may bring you to spiritual maturity and be complete, lacking nothing. Many character traits you lack, and God will bring trials to bring those character traits you lack into the open to expose them and to help you be the Christian you ought to be. So while you're going through adversity, see God's hand in the matter, Understand God's reason for trials. And number three, the most important one. Through the trial, while in the midst of adversity, purpose to honor and bring glory to God. Purpose to honor and bring glory to God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, I believe the verse will be on the screen. It said that the trial, the testing of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with what? My friend Joseph went, was tried by fire. <laughs> Burrito might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Look up here, please. You and I, we cannot control our circumstances. We cannot control a situation. But we can control our, how we respond. You cannot control your emotions. You may get very, very angry, and sometimes rightfully so. But you should not allow your anger to control you. No wonder Paul said, be angry and because we allow our anger to control us. And so many Christians have lost their testimony 
and ruin their, their reputation because they allowed their anger to get the best of them. In the midst of that trial, look at God's hands in the matter. Number two, realize the purpose of the trial. Number three, I can't understand it. I don't like it, but I'm going to purpose to honor and glorify God through it. That my reactions will be pleasing to him and glorify him through it. So number one, we saw Joseph's situation. What was his situation? He was married, betrothed, and all of a sudden there was, I suppose, a betrayal. Then we saw his response. He responded to that situation with emotion, but he responded with grace, mercy, and obedience. Number three. Number three. Let's look at now the conclusion of Joseph's situation. The conclusion of Joseph's situation. Back in Matthew, number one, first of all, in letter A, he received wonderful news. He received wonderful news. I wish I could have been there to see the emotion on Joseph's face when he heard this. Up to this point, all he knew was his wife he loved dearly had cheated on him. And he was distraught by that. But all of a sudden, in verse 20, look at it. Mary, he learns that Mary's conception, Mary's pregnancy was of the Holy Ghost. She had not cheated on him. She had not been with another man. This was God's doing. In verse 20, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not. Take unto thee thy wife, Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. What a relief. No doubt he was feeling my wife cheated on me, but all of a sudden now the angel says, Man had nothing to do with this. Your wife has not been unfaithful. She's not been adulterous. She has not cheated on you. This is God's doing. Her conception of pregnancies of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the child was to be the promised Messiah. The child, the born of Mary, would be the promised deliverer. Verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son that shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It is believed at that time that Jews were anticipating looking for the Messiah. They're under the bondage, the tyranny of Rome, and they were working, and they thought the Messiah could come at any time. All of a sudden, as a man realized that his wife's pregnant of the Holy Spirit, and the angel said, your son, this, this son of Mary, is going to be the promised Messiah, the one God's promised to his people, Israel, the deliverer, number three, Mary's pregnancy was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Mary's pregnancy was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Mary's conception was the Holy Spirit. The child was the promised Messiah. And her pregnancy was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Look in verse 22. The angel is still speaking here. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, of the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. And that shall bring forth a son that shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. So look up it, please. What's the conclusion of Joseph's situation? He received wonderful news, and lastly, we'll close with this. He could live with no regrets. He could live with no regrets. Because he responded out of mercy and grace. He could rejoice in the wonderful news. He can enjoy the relationship with his wife and not have any sorrow or regrets with how he treated her. So many Christians today 
live with a lifetime of regret and sorrow because they allowed their emotions to get the best of them and they did somebody wrong, treated someone wrong, said something wrong, and they live with regrets. Can you imagine if Joseph, as soon as he heard that, would seek to publicly portray, I mean, announce her, shame her, and talk bad about her, and bring her before the magistrate to have her stoned. All of a sudden, he said, wait a minute, you got it all wrong here. But in the midst of all that, he responded with grace and mercy and obedience. So when the news was given to him, he could respond without any regrets. I'm so glad I didn't treat her wrong because God's hand is the matter. Psalm 30, verse 5. said, Weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. So many of us go through a time of weeping, emotional distress. But we can't have joy in the morning because we responded out of anger and did things we shouldn't do. We said things we shouldn't say, and everybody around us are hurting for it. Not Joseph. So look up here, please. What is the elephant in your home? What is the elephant in your life? It's obvious to everybody, but you're acting like it's not there. You're ignoring that. Let me help you here. Sad to say, many Christian homes are just like my uncle's home. Someone in the home, a, a spouse, a parent, has a problem with anger. Anger's not wrong. The problem is they can't control it. And they've said things to their spouse. They've said things to the children. They've done things that they, right now they regret tremendously, but they cannot change it. And so let me help you. If that's you this morning, let me help you. Three things. Hope you write this down. I want to help those that have that elephant in the room. Number one, acknowledge the elephant. Don't deny it. Don't act like it's not there. Everybody knows it's there, but you <laughs> acknowledge it. Don't deny it. Number two, own it. Own it. Quit blaming others for your anger. You say, well, it wasn't for you. The, what you've done makes me get angry. The children didn't know that I wouldn't get angry. My friend, it's not your spouse's fault. It's not your children's fault. It's your fault. Anger is a choice. And if you lose control, don't blame. Own it. Just say, I'm at fault. It's my problem. So, Acknowledge it, number two, own it, number three, confess it. Confess it. Confess it to God for the sin you've done, the things you've done wrong because of your out-of-control anger, and confess it to those around you. How do you confess it to those around you? Those in your family that you hurt dearly. Three things. Go to that one, that child you said things that cut them deeply, the spouse you've said things that hurt them deeply. Say, I've done wrong. I'm sorry, I'm at fault. Will you forgive me? I've done wrong. I am sorry. It's my fault. Will you forgive me? They're so used to you blaming them for your behavior. In other words, I did wrong. I'm sorry. I'm at fault. Will you forgive me? The Bible says that when you humble yourself, God will exalt you. It's very humbling to go to your kids and say, kids, the way your daddy and the way your mommy is acting, it's not your fault. I'm at fault. I'm the one who done wrong. Will you forgive me? I find that would be the road to recovery. It would be a road to get things right in your family. But I encourage you to address the elephant in the room. Deal with it. 
All right, one more scripture this morning. It got awful quiet there. I sense a lot of elephants here this morning. <laughs> this morning I've been speaking to those of you that know Christ and learning from a man who responded to a very difficult situation in a wonderful way. His name was Joseph. Joseph had every right to be angry. He was angry. But he did not let his anger to control his actions. He did not publicly shame his wife. He did not talk ill of his wife. He showed grace and mercy and obedience and took under her to be his wife. It cost him his testimony and reputation, but he did that which was right. I encourage you in the midst of your difficult situations, see God's hand in the matter, realize what God's doing, but purpose to always respond in a godly, righteous way that pleases the Lord. But if you're here today and you're not certain heaven's your home, my message was not for you, but maybe there's something that would help you. But the most important thing to understand is the reason why Christ came. Back in verse 21, here's some good news. I want to end up with good news, don't you? Good news. Verse 21, it's on the screen there. And she, this is the angel speaking to Joseph concerning Mary. And she, Mary, shall bring forth a son, and that shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their what? Sins. What is it about our sins that Christ came to save us from? By the way, how many of us are sinners? Go look in the mirror and look up here. <laughs> We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says Christ came to save us from our sins. And first and foremost, he came to save us from sin's penalty. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. Because we've sinned, We've earned the judgment of a holy, righteous God. And the righteous God says, the soul that sinneth, it must die. And because you've sinned against the holy God, you've earned judgment, death from God. And death means separation from him forever in a place called hell. But God loves you. He loved you so much, he sent a deliverer. He sent a savior. Someone to come to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. His name was Jesus. And he came to save his people from their what? He came to save this sinner from his, the penalty he owes. I owe God death because I'm a sinner. But praise the Lord, hallelujah, Jesus paid that penalty for me. And on the cross, bearing my sin and shame, he died in my place. He died in your place. And paid your sin debt. He was buried and he rose again. And he offers you eternal life forgiveness as a gift at his expense. Your part is to receive it, to believe in Christ as your Savior and have eternal life. He came for that reason, to save us from our sins. Let's bow together, please. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, Christian, did God speak to you from the life of Joseph? We saw Joseph was a godly man, a man who went through a horrible situation, great emotional distress. But we saw he responded with grace and mercy. He responded to bring glory to the God he saved him. How do you respond when you're under stress? How do you respond when you're in a difficult, trial situation? Do you respond like Barney did? Do you go ballistic? Do you respond the way my uncle did? You begin to throw things and say things? How do you respond? If that's you, I hope that you would deal with that. Acknowledge it, 
own it, confess it. Deal with it today. If you're here today and you're not certain heaven's your home, you're not certain that you have eternal life, my friend, why not get that settled this morning? That's the whole reason for this season we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate the birth of the Savior, that he was born to die, to take on human flesh and die on the cross to pay for our sin debt. That's history. He died on the cross for you. He paid for sin for you. He was buried and rose again for you. But you have to receive him as your Savior. You must trust in him as the one who died for you to take you to heaven. And my friend, you can do that right now. You can trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. How do I do that, Pastor? Why not talk to God in your own thoughts and maybe say something like this? Just say, Dear God of heaven, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe that Jesus, your son, was punished in my place. The judgment that I deserve, he took upon himself. And there on the cross, bearing my sin, he died for me. He was buried. I believe he rose again. And right here this morning, realizing I cannot save myself, I'm trusting Christ to save me. I'm trusting him to forgive me and to give me eternal life. As heads are bowed, eyes still closed. My friend, did that make sense to you? Did you trust in Christ to be your Savior? If you did, I'd like to know that. I really get excited when I see someone else understand that wonderful news. If you trusted Christ as your Savior, I'd like to know that. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to point you out. But I'd like to, in just one moment, I'd like for those who did that, simply to raise your hand, indicate that you did that, so I can pray for you. Inclusion in my closing prayer. Again, as heads bowed and eyes are closed, if what I said made sense to you and you today trusted Christ as your Savior, and allow me simply to include you in the closing prayer. Would you simply raise your hand so I can pray for you? You know what all? Pastor, is my hand that made sense. I trusted Christ. Would you pray for me today? Slip it real high, put it back down so I can simply pray for you. You know what all this morning? Father, I hope that means each one here has already made that decision. They've trusted Christ as Savior. But Father, even though we're saved, we know that many people still have issues in their life. Many of us still respond to difficult situations in a very ungodly way, a way that's not pleasing to you, a way that harms and hurts people we love so dearly. Father, help us to learn from the life of Joseph and seek to respond to difficult times in a godly way that pleases you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.